We're finishing our series in Philippians today, and we've been looking at Philippians 4. We've been exploring what Paul has been encouraging us and affirming us in. And if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be looking at Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. The title of my message is Training Our Thinking, Liberating Our Life. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. I'm reading the ESV translation. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Great words from Paul here. So straight out the gate, the simple goal of our time here today is to allow the word of God to transform the way that we think. Simply put, we must start thinking about what we think about. And as we train our thinking, we will liberate our life and we will see everything from a fresh perspective. But more importantly, we will see our life through the lens of Christ. Never is this more evident and more needed than in the verses that we take a look at here in chapter 4. Because, you know, what we think about is always revealed in what we subsequently say. And so if your mind is filled with godly wisdom, you can implement the advice that Paul presents. And then you can subsequently control the biggest issue that most Christians have, our tongue. And as we cultivate a healthy approach to this great wisdom that Paul has given us, our words will become fresh, they will become pleasing to God, they will become reliable, but even more than that, they will become life-giving. And as a result of that, we lose the sharp edges, the rough edges, if you like, of our language and our conduct, and we become more like Christ. And that's all that Paul is desiring for us on this journey. And so he has summarized for us what he wants us to think about, what he wants us to consider and to meditate on. And it's worth noting here that the subjects that he highlights are pretty broad. They're not too narrow. And I think he's done that deliberately so that it encompasses every part of the Christian life. But the first consideration for us to think about is that Paul tells us what to think about. He doesn't give us a list of things not to think about. And I think that's a very interesting distinction because I think in doing that, Paul lays the groundwork. He's telling us to think about things that are pure. This is something that accurately reflects the heart of God. Or to focus on the things that are right, righteousness, the things that please God. Because the reality is for all of us, we don't always naturally think godly thoughts. It requires us to work on it. And that's what Paul is advocating today. And so the starting point for us in our journey should always be the Word of God. When we read it, when we meditate on it, when we absorb God's Word, we anchor ourselves afresh to the truth that will not allow us to drift, that is not subject to the opinions of man or the systems of the world. It requires us, however, to go merely beyond reading the Bible. We must know the author of the Bible intimately and know the Bible itself. Simply put, we must embrace God's truth and apply his truth in every area of our lives. The Christian life and discipleship is never easy. It will always involve work. So let's journey together through the words that he actually says. He starts with the word finally. 
Now you would think he's concluding his thoughts here, but actually he's connecting everything that he's referenced in verses 3 to 7 to verses 8 and 9. He uses it to connect it because it's important for us to remember that even though he's referenced about being anxious, about challenges that might emerge in our lives, that our minds should therefore subsequently be orientated and occupied by things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are pure, things that are just, things that are commendable, anything worthy of praise. It means we must become Christ-centered and kingdom-focused in every area of our thought life which means that we don't surrender our minds to ungodly things of the world that tries to promote itself to us. So, whatever is true, well, what is truth? You might sit there and think, well, truth, it's relative. You know, what is true for you might not be true for me, but ultimately the world is quite confused about what is truth in today's society. But we know that God is not the author of confusion, and we know in John 14, verse 6, Jesus himself answered very, very clearly for us. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, which means that there's just one truth. There's not a, a menu for us to choose from. There's just one truth, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Whatever is honorable. Hmm. When we think about honor, maybe the first thing we think of is something in the Ten Commandments, something like honor our mother and Father. That's a good and a solid starting point for us this afternoon. But how about we take a moment to honor everything that God has given us? Our homes, our family, our friends, our job. Do we really uphold, do we really show honor in these areas of our lives? Or have we just become a little blasé in our attitude to them? The reality here is that Paul is saying that we should honor everything that God has given to us. And so often we can become so used to having things that we have a, a spirit of entitlement, if you like. And actually, Paul is reminding us that we need to be mindful. We need to show respect and reverence and honor for everything that God has extended in every area of our lives. He advances the conversation, whatever is just. Now, for me, at this point, Paul's already on a roll. He is emphasizing everything in today's society that today's society is blatantly and flagrantly struggling with. He was ahead of his time. I said it last week, he was ahead of his time. When we think about justice, what, what, what provokes, what stirs up in your heart when you think about justice? When we think about things that are unjust or things that are just, what emerges from your thoughts, from your conversations? Do we demonstrate that? Do we show dishonor? Are we hostile to things in our thinking? If that's true, we need to dismiss those thoughts from our mind because Psalm 89 verse 14 tells us that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And so clearly the psalmist was well aware of God's heart because he's already captured two of the three attributes that Paul has already described to us. He then advances his thoughts again saying whatever is pure, purity in today's society distinctly lacking. I think the Church of Jesus Christ has done an excellent job thus far in how in showing and modeling how young Christians should live their lives in terms of sexual purity with their bodies, but we've not really spent considerable time in purity in our mind, in our thoughts. And I think it's an area that we need to major on because out of our devotion to the Father, every thought that we have should be bringing Him honor. If you're in doubt, ask yourself this. Would the thought that you've just had please the Father? Would it show honor to him? Would he, be, would he be joyful with what you've experienced? We need to model purity, not just in body, but also in our speech. 
Now, the next one I find interesting. Paul says, whatever is lovely. And some breaking news if you're married this afternoon. He's not referring to your spouse. He's not referring to the garden that you've just spent some time tending over the bank holiday weekend. He is not referring to the things that we necessarily think about. He's not referring to beauty of any kind. He's actually talking about things that will cause you to love. We need to position ourselves to think on things and on people that will facilitate us to step out in love to one another. That's where we start to grow in our journey with Christ. He then goes further and he brings in a few other elements. Whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. So some, some thoughts for us. Do we extend grace to one another in our lives as Christians? We can find on occasions that it's often not easy to demonstrate grace to people closest to us because we have such high expectations of them. We expect and demand and command so much of them. And therefore we find that we don't have the grace extending towards them in the way that we should. And yet I encourage us, we have to ask God again and again and again for grace to be poured into our hearts so that we can then make that available to other people. Never forget 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then he concludes verse 8 with the words, think about these things. Now we know our Christian faith is practical, it's applicable, it requires a response. And if Paul didn't want us to do anything about it, but merely think about it, there would have just been a full stop. But he advances the conversation in verse 9 that we will explore in a minute. But he, he finishes with, think about these things. Are you a bit like me this afternoon? Do you tend to ruminate over things, over conversations that you've had, over issues of your life? Do you always have a what if mentality? Uh, what if I had done this or what if I had gone there? And Paul is saying very clearly, no, that has to stop. This sort of stinking thinking that can invade our hearts and minds has to stop. We have to anchor ourselves in the things that will bring God honor and glory. And he lists, lists those things that we've just explored. I don't think it's, a, it's an exhaustive list. I think it's sufficiently broad that it encompasses probably every thought, every season of every believer's life. And therefore nothing is left to chance. God is calling us to think higher to think better, to be more intentional, to be more Christ-centered and more Christ-focused, not to focus on our past. I've said this before, your past should not hold your future hostage. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. You can embrace the new in what God wants to do in every part of your life. But then Paul takes his thoughts further and augments them with practical action. Verse 9, he makes it very, very clear to us what he expects of us. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but there's already enough in verse 8 there. I've got ample food for thought and reflection, but Paul hasn't finished. He's, he is coming out to bat on this one because he wants us to be the authentic disciples that he knows that we can be. 
But before he tells us how to put these godly principles into action in our own lives, he uses himself as an example for us. Now, I find this encouraging because Paul is essentially telling us, hey, this is entirely possible to achieve because he has been able to achieve it. And so therefore we can. But he places a major emphasis on practice these things, which should tell us this afternoon that this isn't going to happen overnight. We're not going to find success in thinking correctly immediately in our lives. You ever heard the phrase, practice makes perfect? Again, Paul was ahead of his time, and I think that he has accurately described what we need to do. We need to practice this. We need to model this. We need to demonstrate this each and every day in our devotional life, in our wider contexts, in our workplaces, in our, in our homes. We need to practice the thoughts that Paul is telling us to have, and then we get to embrace the peace. Because the results of that is the peace that God affords us. Why? Because it's the peace that's only found in God. Now, if we think that all we have to do is pray and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will be our portion, but we can continue to live the way we want, I have some breaking news for you this afternoon. You are sadly mistaken. Our God is a holy God and he calls his people to obedience. And that's what Paul is saying today. We need to be obedient to his word. We need to actually start to demonstrate this where faith and action converge something shifts in the spiritual realm, something changes in our lives that brings about the breakthrough that God wants to see happen. But thinking alone is insufficient. We've got to do them. Now, don't get me wrong, we can still pray for God's grace in our lives, but if we really understand the cross, we really understand the purpose, the power of the cross in our lives, then make no mistake, out of our thanks to God, out of our thanks to God, we will also pray for the strength to do God's will for our lives this afternoon. And that means that we've got to become Christ-centered and kingdom-focused in our thought life and not surrender our thoughts to the ungodly desires that the world will perpetually promote to you. Whether it's through social media, the news, the TV, scaremongering, it doesn't matter. It will always attempt to have its way and you have to push back the forces of darkness. You need to embrace the word of God, stand on the truth and move forward in victory. But let's keep it real. The reality for us is the application of biblical principles is very easy to talk about, but it's a lot harder to put into action. But Paul also wrote in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Our thinking is something we must take control over. If we don't, it will control us. Paul tells us that we need to be intentional about focusing our minds and he presents himself as an example of someone who lives it out because he wants to be and he is a true follower of Christ. The same invitation is extended towards us today. Now, Paul is encouraging us to fill our minds on everything that is true, everything that is good, wherever it is found. And he tells us that we need to actively and consistently and obey these practical instructions. If so, if you're in doubt about what to do this afternoon, imitate Paul. Then heavenly peace becomes your portion that's afforded to you. Because when we focus our attention on godly matters, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, keeps his peace in every single part of your life. So even if you're going through a storm, because he is the peacekeeper and he's the peace giver, 
you will be victorious. And so there are some action points. There's always learning outcomes for us to embrace. You know, the church, we always talk about fasting. Great spiritual principle. The longest I've ever fasted for is a week. I grew substantially in my walk with Christ. But I want to give us another thought this afternoon. Why don't we go on a lifelong fast for, from some stuff, from things that negatively impact and influence our thought life? What about music? What about worldly music? Some of us, we still listen to stuff that doesn't glorify and honor God. Actually, it provokes and invokes impure and dishonest thoughts in our lives. Why don't you go on a lifetime ban on that? I'm fasting from that for the rest of my life here on earth. What about fasting from TV? Or smellivision, as Pastor Colin calls it. It chews your time. It steals your time. It saps your focus. It erodes everything that God is wanting to do in your life. Why don't you take a moment and just go, you know, I'm going to limit myself to two hours a week or three hours a week. It's a possibility. What about fasting from social media? Attention, young people. I'm on a social media fast. I regularly go on it. Delete the apps. Just check out. Believe me, life will continue. Your friends will still post photos of their breakfast and where they are not going on holiday. But the reality is that you can use the time that you would be doing these things, for example, to spend reading God's word. And I can tell you that if you substitute that time thinking and reflecting on the virtues that Paul has presented, you will fill your mind substantially with kingdom-centered principles. What about a second application point for us this afternoon? Develop some accountability friendships in your cell group, in your workplace, in your home. Find somebody that you can be accountable to. Every time that you have a thought that's impure, that doesn't bring God honor, doesn't bring God glory, that doesn't line up with what Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, take a moment, share that with your accountability partner. Get them to pray with you. Get them to encourage you. Take some intentional steps on this. Because if we want to properly identify God's will for our life, we need to continually think about God's dimensions, God's power, God's purpose, and God's place in our lives. Precisely because Paul was grounded and confident in his own standing and identity in Christ, he was able to give us the suggestions on how we can imitate his lifestyle in these verses. Simply put, we've got to become active participants active. We've got to be forward focused. We've got to be deliberate. We've got to be robust. We've got to be committed to growing in our journey. This is not a moment to be passive and reflective and spend hours musing on the thoughts that we have. No, we've got to take those thoughts captive. We've got to own the responsibility that through the leading of the Holy Spirit and we will emerge victorious in our lives. Because ultimately what it's going to come down to is we have to count the cost of incorporating everything that Paul has said in Philippians 4.8 in our daily lives and then put it into practice. And it requires us to go beyond merely reflecting passively on what Paul has said. We need to embrace these virtues and demonstrate them irrespective of how we feel. And at that point in the journey, we emerge out of the habitual approaches, attitudes, mindsets that we might have and that we possess in our communication to each other and the journey of joy subsequently begins because we start to express what is noble, what is pure, what is godly, what is good, what is lovely in every area of our lives because our words will convey the virtues and express that thanks to God and that will affirm and encourage everyone that we subsequently encounter. 
James reminds us in James 3 verse 18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest. Now that would indicate abundance to me. That's the results of our effort. That's the results of our desire to want to grow in this particular area of our lives. But it requires proactiveness and consistency on our part. And as a result, righteousness is a fruition of the atmosphere of peace that we subsequently get to enjoy. And Paul is suggesting the same that James has just referenced. And as we obey and honour God's word, we position ourselves perfectly to receive God's peace. Paul communicated this in both word and action. We are called to do the same this afternoon, friends. And as we do this, we train our thinking and therefore we get to liberate our life. I pray that that word has blessed you abundantly this afternoon. Amen.